So we've got two readings. We're going to read from 1 Corinthians in a moment, but to get the background of Paul in Corinth, we need to read Acts chapter 18. So we'll read chapter 18 of the book of Acts. And Paul came from Athens on his second missionary journey to Corinth. And we underestimate these great missionary journeys of Paul, you know, because a lot of it was on foot and covering great distances. And then a lot of it was by sea, which was quite dangerous, and shipwrecks. So take our hat off to them for what they had accomplished. And we'll read from Acts chapter 18, verse 1. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, for their occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. This was Paul's custom was to go into the synagogues and if there's any word of exhortation he would get up and speak about Jesus being the Messiah. And when Silas and Timothy were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads, I am clean. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles, which he did. And the Corinthian church was mainly made up of pagan Gentiles, but it had some Jews in it as well. And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. So not bad that you can have your place of worship just next door. That is a bonus, isn't it, when it's just next door. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by vision, Be not afraid, speak, hold not thy peace, for I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. And when Galileo was the deputy of Achaia, the Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuadeth men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was now about to open his mouth, Galileo said unto the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or wicked lewdness, O ye Jews, reason would that I should bear with you. But if it be a question of words and names and your law, look ye to it, for I will be no judge of such matters. And he drave them from the judgment seats. 
Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the chief ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. And Galileo cared for none of those things. And Paul, after this, tarried there yet a good while, and then took his leave of the brethren, and sailed thence into Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila, having shown his head in Sencrea, for he had a vow. And he came to Ephesus, and left them there. But he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And they desired him to tarry longer with them and consented not. But he bade them farewell, saying, I must all means keep this feast that cometh in Jerusalem, but I will return again unto you if God will. And he sailed from Ephesus. And when he had landed at Sencrea and gone up and saluted the church, he went down to Antioch. And after that he spent some time there, he departed and went over all country of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening the disciples. Then we'll just mention Paulus, because Apollos is mentioned in 1 Corinthians. He was a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandra, an eloquent man, mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. Now he only knew the baptism of John. He instructed in the way of the Lord, being fervent in spirit. He spake, spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. But as he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took unto him them and expounded him the way of God more perfectly. And we read from that that when Apollos went to Corinth, he had great success in convincing the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. So now we'll read from 1 Corinthians, first nine verses. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. Unto the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything you are enriched by him, in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you become behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ who shall also confirm you unto the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. One of the first verses that strikes me about uh, 1 Corinthians is this verse in chapter 2, verse 3, which kind of takes you by surprise because you've got a, a mental picture of apostle being strong and determined and faithful and, and dealing up with all the pressures that he had. But he says to them, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And when we read in Acts chapter 18, there's a, an instant there where 
the Jews were starting to persecute Paul. And he was afraid. He must have been afraid. We're not told the exact circumstances, but it clearly says Paul was afraid because he needed a vision from the Lord. That was his need. Yes, he had a deep need because he was struggling at the moment in this situation at Corinth. And the Lord spoke to him in a vision. Be not afraid. No man will lay hold upon thee to hurt thee. I have much people in this city. What a great encouragement from the Lord to Paul personally for him to persevere in Corinth. Paul was a man whom the Lord said he would have great sufferings for his name's sake. So that was a lovely thought that he was comforted at that particular time. And so much so he spent a year and a half in Corinth teaching them things of the Lord. So they were very enriched actually in that teaching. But before we start verses 1 to 9 we need a little introduction into Corinth itself, the background of the history of Corinth because it's all related to many of the chapters we read in 1 Corinthians. Uh, the culture of Corinth was not good. Uh, it was lewd. It was fornication. It was sexual immorality. There was the goddess of Aphrodite, or Venus. There was a temple to her, and all sorts of these lewd things were going on in the temple of Aphroditus. So, you can understand that when Paul talks about the sanctity of the body and the instance in chapter 5 when there was incest um, within the church. So moral corruption within the church, which they did nothing about at the beginning and which case they had to do something about of moral corruption. So you can see the background there. It had a, the Acro-Corinth, which was the very great big hill, you see, about 1,800 and odd feet, with a, an Acropolis on the top of it. So for defence purposes, Corinth was situated very well. But having said that, it didn't deter the Romans, because the Romans raised Corinth totally to the ground. Completely. But it was built again by Julius Caesar later on. But in Paul's day, the Romans were in charge. As you see from Galileo in chapter 18, he was a proconsul. So the Romans were clearly in charge. Now Corinth was a great trading centre, and it was known for its trading, and it could trade north, south, east, and west. That was its situation. So it was a great trading place. And obviously as a trading place, many people passing through. And all those people passing through have probably heard the gospel as well as they're passing through. And if you, I haven't got a map to show you, but if, you, if we looked at the map of Greece, if you can imagine the map of Greece in your mind, there's like a, a main section of the land, and then there's a, the Peloponnese, which is, it just looks like an island. If you look at it, glance at it, it looks like a little bit broken off an island, but it's actually attached to the mainland by an isthmus. He's where you have to know how to pronounce Greek words. Isthmus. <laughs> Whatever. It means neck. It means a narrow piece of land joining one part of the land to another. 
Now, the isthmus was very important for the trade, yes, because the Peloponnese, that area around the bottom of it, was extremely dangerous for shipping, yeah, lots of shipwrecks there. And the saying went that only go once, never go twice. That was going around amongst the sailors, yes? Only go once, and you meant to do that, by the way, and never go twice because you're not coming back. That's what they used to say. So there was lots of shipwrecks there. So to get around that problem, they would go into these narrow lanes of, of Corinth to the Isthmus, and they'd carry their, unload their cargo and carry the ship across the Isthmus, which is a narrow strip of land. And then they went another way for the trade rooms. So that was excellent from that to do that. But if you look at modern Corinth now, they've actually dug one of the deepest, well, it is the deepest canal in the world, apparently. They have a massive isthmus. It's a canal they put through, which is incredible. And I didn't know that till I looked up on, the, on their website. But it's very interesting to look over if you want to look at that. So that's why it was a brilliant trade route. And it helped, of course. It had two harbours, Nectium, which was near the city, and then it was one at Sencria, which was further away. And if you remember from Romans, who was from Centria, the church there, there was a church there, Phoebe, our sister, a servant of the church, was at Sencria. So there was an assembly at Quincia as well. Now, it's the largest letter that is written from Paul, and I think it's large because he has a lot to say. And unfortunately, there's a lot going wrong in Corinth. There's a lot that is bad. When we read 1 to 9, we read that in the first bit, Paul does similar to what we've been thinking about when we the seven churches. He brings out what he commends them for, and then he brings out the bad exactly what we've been looking at, yes? So he commends them first, but then brings out the bad. And believe me, the bad is bad, <laughs> um, which we've got to take into consideration. And there was a whistleblower. <laughs> yes, most organizations have whistleblowers, don't they? The NHS certainly has whistleblowers, um, which sometimes I don't take candy to, but someone's blown the whistle. And that person is, is, is from verse 11. It has been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that's a female, that there are contentions among you and divisions. So they've blown the whistle on this and they've informed Paul and it, they may have informed him of all the other things that are going on as well. So Paul's getting a, an insight into what's going on and therefore he's writing this letter. Right? And of course, he has a lot to say. But first of all, divisions and contentions. The history of the church is littered, isn't it, with divisions and contentions, sadly. But what we're getting here is a, an insight, an inner look into the state of this church. And we're privileged to see that, yes? Because they are in a right state. And we'll talk about that when we talk about sanctification as well. 
but they're getting great insight. So there was divisions and there's contentions and there were infractions. You know, I am Paul, I am for Paul, I am Apollos, I am for Cephas, I am for Christ. You know, they're having these fractions of who's who and who's and all this. And all that's causing divisions and is not necessary. And Paul puts them right by saying this wonderful thing. Is Christ divided? Question mark. The answer is no, he is not. Was Paul crucified for you? The answer is no, he was not. Neither was Apollos or Peter. Christ was crucified for them. And were you baptised in the name of Paul? No, they weren't. Some were. Crispus, Gaius, Stephanus, who was at the last chapter. They were baptised in his house by Paul. But then he didn't baptise anyone else because he, he didn't want to think that, you know, they're following me, not the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's putting them right on that matter. There's a lovely section on wisdom. Uh, whichever brother's got that one to do is, is privileged because it's so wonderful, that chapter on wisdom. It talks about the wisdom of God, the wisdom of Christ, the wisdom of man, and the wisdom of the world. You can talk about all those things in that chapter. And it also talks about the hidden wisdom, the mystery, which we know about, the for all mature believers, we're learning of the wonderful things that's been to read to us in the New Testament. That's the hidden wisdom. So there's a wonderful chapter there. We see in chapter 3 a carnal state. So we have to understand this terminology, don't we? There's, there's carnal, there's the natural man, there's carnal, there's spiritual man. What the carnal man means is these were believers with the Holy Spirit within them but they were acting in the flesh. So what they were doing, acting in the flesh. And he says unto them, I am speaking to you spiritually as unto carnal and as unto babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it. Neither yet now are ye able, for you are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying, that's in the workings in the flesh. Strife is workings of the flesh. Divisions is workings of the flesh. Are ye not carnal and walk as men? For one saith, I am of Paul, another I am of Paulus. Are ye not carnal? And again he emphasized, who then is Paul? Who is Apollos? <clears throat> They're just ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. Paul says, I have planted. Apollos went to Corinth, remember, and he has watered and got fruit. So things going on there, yes? <clears throat> chapter 5 is an awful chapter to read. It says, it's reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication is not as much named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. Their response to that was that they were puffed up and not rather mourned that he hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. They needed to deal with this situation, yes? It's a case of church discipline. 
and this man needed to be put out of the assembly. Right? It even says, deliver unto one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's contamination, moral contamination in the assembly, which has to be dealt with. In 2 Corinthians, this same issue comes up, where this particular man who is repentant, and Paul's telling them you need to restore him to the fellowship. Otherwise, he'll be overmuched sorrow. That would cause great damage to the man with overmuch sorrow. So the man was actually restored. Chapter 6 also tells about the sanctity of the body and of marriage, which again, going on the background of the Corinthians, uh, there was a proverbial thing which said to Corinthianize. Yeah? That's how bad it was. You've been Corinthianized. So he talks a lot about the sanctity of the body and marriage. He talks about marriage because they actually sent him a letter to ask about marriage. And some brothers got that section to do. I think it's you, Dizuzi, isn't it? You've got marriage, have you? We, 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 <laughs> which is fine because you're married. <laughs> no good to me. It's not applicable. <laughs> However, maybe there's still hope. <laughs> and they, they also, they were criticising Paul's apostleship as well. That's evident in Corinthian epistles. Uh, which is not the right thing to do. And they were not very complimentary of him at all. If we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 9, it says, For his letters, say they, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak, and his speech is contemptible. Now, what an awful thing to say, isn't it? I mean, what do I take from that? Let's be gracious to one another. There's no need to talk like this about the saints of God. Is a graciousness. The Lord is full of graciousness. And then, sadly, there was problems with the breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper love feasts and things like that and getting drunk and all sorts of things were taking place in the breaking of bread which would make you weep when you think how precious the breaking of bread is so Paul puts them right you know on the breaking of bread and that's very important actually some of the Corinthians died and that death was a judgment from the Lord on the excesses that they were doing at that particular time. So the Lord dealt swift judgment with that. Problem with gifts. Yeah, we, we're going to talk about they were enriched with gifts. But there was problem with the gifts. There was lack of order in the assembly uh, and the use of gifts. And they favoured the speaking in tongues, yeah, because it's a spectacular gift. So they were speaking in tongues. But there was things that were just not in order. Everything should be decent and in order, Paul says. Yes. 
And the whole purpose of the gifts was to edification of the church. Yes. And Paul says if, if unbelievers come into the, the assembly hall, you know, and you're all speaking in tongues, and no one's interpreting, no one's knows what's going on, they're going to say, you're totally mad. Bad testimony, isn't it? If one speaks in tongues, there should be a one interpreter, etc., etc. So there's lots of issues going on at that particular time with, with the gifts. My first time I heard speaking in tongues was when I was 17 in the Baptist church in Billingham, which is still there and still going strong. And prayer meeting and fellowship meeting. A woman got up and suddenly started speaking in an unknown language yeah, for quite a long time. And I wasn't used to this and I was physically shaking inside. I thought, what's going on here? <laughs> I, I was visibly shaking. I thought, what's going on? Uh, and she, when she finished, she then interpreted it, which then you know it's not right. Don't you? She spoke in tongues and then she interpreted the answer. So that was my first in introduction to speaking in tongues. So, I think I'm depressing you, aren't I, with all these, issues, <laughs> all these issues in Corinth. But as you can see, they needed to be sorted out, don't they? So let's concentrate now on 1 to 9. There's some cheerful verses in 1 to 9 of, of 1 Corinthians. <laughs> We've got all the doom and gloom put aside. So it says, Paul was called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. The word apostle means someone who has been sent. Remember, it speaks of our Lord Jesus Christ, the apostle and high priest of our profession, the sent one. And Paul wasn't high and mighty, you know, he had authority as an apostle, but he was a very lowly man as well. But he was sent. That was his authority from the Lord. That was his, by the will of God, he was sent. So he had all the authority. And Sosthenes, our brother. Now we mentioned a Sosthenes in Acts 18, didn't we? Who was in the synagogue and probably had taken over from Crispus as the leader of the synagogue because he became saved. Now it is a common name, Sosthenes, but most people believe that's Sosthenes is the same man, so that means he was beaten, remember, in Acts chapter 18, but that means he also now is a Christian, if that's the case. And he's acting as a secretary as such with Paul. But it may be or may not be, but Sosthenes is the common name, but it could be. But it's nice that Paul associates brothers with him, yes? Brothers who are helping him. Unto the church of God, which is Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Church of God. Church means you're taken out of the world. Sanctified in Christ Jesus. We are sanctified once for all, by the work of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Every believer 
is sanctified. Yes? It's not something you can attain. We talk about called to be saints. Saints means holy ones. It's not like the Roman Catholicism where you can attain to be a saint after you're dead. It doesn't work like that, yes? Saints are God's holy ones. And if you think of the enormous change that brings to us when we're in the presence of the Lord, especially like the breaking of bread here, that you are before the Lord as sanctified and his holy ones. Bear that in mind, yes? This is how the, the Father sees us, how the Lord Jesus Christ sees us. And it's with all who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So wherever assemblies are made and they're calling upon the Lord across the world, it's the one body of Christ, isn't it? Which we seem to have lost a little bit on that, the one body of Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace is a wonderful introduction, isn't it? Grace and peace. Inward calm. That's what it means. Inward calm. How often do we have inward calm? <laughs> Especially with all the crises that are going on in the world. But we can have this inward calm because our Lord is in control of everything. And spiritual blessing. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. He's thanking God for these saints. We should be thanking God for each other, yes. And all the saints we meet. Thank God for them. That in everything you are enriched by him. That means to be made rich. And it's metaphorically for spiritual riches. So this assembly had lots of spiritual riches. This is all the good things. In all utterance, which is speech, and, and Darby's translation mentions doctrine as utterance, and in all knowledge. So they had lots of knowledge, utterance, spiritual riches. Even as the testimony of Christ or the testimony of the Christ was confirmed in them. And obviously that testimony of Christ was when Paul was there for a year and a half. And they came behind in no gift. They didn't lack in gifts. Now every assembly has gifts. Every one of us individually has gifts. Do you know your gift? The Lord has given you because when, when you know your gift you know they have the, the exercise to use that gift to his glory but there is gifts every single person in this room will have a gift from the Lord to be used for his glory they came behind in no gift and just as we've been talking about this morning waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, waiting for the coming. That's the parousia. That's his presence back on earth. It's not the rapture. The rapture is not spoken of here, although the rapture is true. It's, it's going to happen.
for this is his second coming where he will appear upon earth once again. They're waiting like we are waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ who shall confirm you unto the end. That is nice, isn't it? We're being confirmed to the end. That you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And God is faithful. That's a beautiful expression as well. God is faithful. He can be trusted. He's faithful to us individually. He's faithful to us in the assembly. He is faithful. Whom ye were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now this is another lovely expression, is it? Called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Talk about partnership. Talks about communion, fellowship. Communion is especially very special, yes? Because we are are united to Christ. We partakers of Christ. Communion is much more special. And this breaking of bread is very deep communion. Can't get any deeper than this, yes? For worship is the breaking of bread. And sadly, there's still many churches out there who just tag it on the end last 10 minutes of a service and don't really pay any attention to deep worship of the Lord Jesus Christ I've said it before but I'm saying it again it's worth saying Tozer said worship is the absent jewel of the evangelical church it's not as good as being here around the table God is faithful, fellowship of his son. And then that fellowship goes outward, doesn't it? It's, it, it? And this typical example is the Sloans in Ukraine at the moment, ministering to the fellowship of the needs of saints or the needs of people around them. And it's absolutely wonderful what that assembly is doing. And they're working very long hours and they're probably coming out of their own pockets as well, the things that they're doing and they're coordinating all this for the refugees. They're, they're feeding them. They're making them feel secure. And then they're preaching the gospel to them. Exactly what Jesus did, didn't he? Feed them first, talk to them. So that is a wonderful thing of fellowship. And, we, and that's contributing, yes, in fellowship. So each one of us here has to contribute. We are contributing in some way to this assembly, to the blessing of everyone else. Which is wonderful, isn't it? All that is good news. (laughs) All that is good. So if anybody knows this assembly from outside and... You know, you think, what are they saying about this assembly? What do people say about this assembly? They'd probably say wonderful things, wouldn't they? You're not convinced? (laughs) They would. They would say wonderful things. 
we're, we're not perfect, are we? But there's a loving fellowship here. There's a togetherness. There's a helping one another, praying for one another, seeking the, the welfare of others, and building people up in the things of the Lord. All that is here, which is good. Yeah? We can't stand on our laurels, though, can we? Fellowship is very precious. So that's the introduction to Corinthians, and then it'll all come out when we do more and more chapters. You'll see how it all fits in like a jigsaw uh, and why Paul was saying all these things. So good things, but a lot of bad things in Corinth, which no doubt got put right in the end. Shall we pray? Our Father, we thank thee that we can have fellowship with thee, fellowship with our Lord Jesus Christ, through thy spirit which dwells within us. We thank thee we can have fellowship one with another, and how precious that fellowship is in the days in which we live. We know there are Christians who are in isolation, who do not want to be in isolation, but Unfortunately, in their circumstances, have made them so. And how they will crave for Christians and for fellowship with Christians, to read the Bible together with Christians, to pray together with Christians. We know that thou shalt sustain all such with thy presence with them. And so we thank thee for our assembly. We thank thee for the grace given to 